I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com slash podcasts. Thanks for your support. Hi, I'm John Hall. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. Because of my job, I occasionally get some beer sent to the house for review. And yes, it's a charmed life, really. And it's more so when a beer stands out among the crowd and I can be transported by a sip to a place just beyond my current field of view. And this happened over the weekend as I had a socially distanced driveway beer with some friends. After an afternoon of yard work, I opened a can of Vega IPA from Ecliptic Brewing. John Harris founded the brewery six years ago after a career spent at iconic Oregon breweries. He was at McMinimins, and he was then the founding brewmaster at Deschutes, and he did a regattas tour at Full Sail. But Ecliptic is the fusing of a hobby that he has held since childhood, astronomy, and a passion career he's had since, well, for a long time. And I'll tell you more about it in just a moment. But first, I'm really happy to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the good folks at New Holland Brewing Company. Dragon's Milk began as a single barrel experiment almost 20 years ago at New Holland Brewing Company and has since grown to become the best-selling American-made stout. Aged for at least 90 days in bourbon barrels, it has rich notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla, which make for a deliciously smooth and drinkable brew. Whether it's sitting by a bonfire or virtually toasting over Zoom, share a legend with the Dragon's Milk today. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. And of course, our show is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. And you can learn more at our website, beeredge.com. So about that Vega IPA. It's the sixth in a series, but the first that John Harris has put into 16-ounce cans. And he calls it an experimental hop playground for our curious and creative brewers to continuously source new and unique hops. Exploring the boundaries of the IPA style, the result is a fresh and distinctively different IPA with each new release. This Vega IPA number 6 features Vic Secret, Strata, Galaxy, Mosaic, and Amarillo hops. And it just blew me away with its subtle fruit soft notes like strawberry and pineapple and even some kiwi. It was juicy but had a touch of bitterness on the finish that just snapped the palate to attention. And after drinking the beer, I resolved to call John Harris and I asked him to be on the show. And he gracefully agreed and joined me on the phone from Portland, Oregon. We talked about recipe development, collaborations, how COVID is impacting his life. But I wanted to start off by asking him about fusing two passions into a single business and what that means for authenticity when it comes to a brewery. Here's our conversation. I'm curious as to how you came to the decision to fuse two passions together and why that made sense for the brewery when you first opened. Gotcha. Um, Well, I mean, astronomy had been a hobby of mine for about um, 10 years. I did it when I was in like, my you know late you know nine to twelve fifteen right in there I had a telescope and I my uncle made and gave me and um, 
Your uncle made a telescope. Yeah, my uncle made telescopes. Yeah. Wow, cool. And, uh, he's a science teacher, and um, but uh, he gave me a telescope one day, and uh, we were down visiting my grandparents, and uh, he gave it to him. my dad. Said, "Ah, uh-huh, it won't fit. It won't fit. It won't fit, John. Sorry." And my mom looked at my dad and said, "That telescope will fit." <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to crush your son, you know, because you don't want to deal with the telescope, you know. So, um, anyhow, um, Wait, so th- was, th- this um, was this was a big thing, I'm guessing, then, right? This isn't something that you just put in the back of the back in the car. Well, we had a station wagon, but I mean, it, it was a mount and, a, and the scope itself, so it was a steel tube and about four, five feet long, four okay. feet long, and then a mount that was handmade by my uncle, too. And long story short, um. I, you know, it was a hobby for a while. Then, then high school happened, and I just kind of got away from it. I still have that telescope to this day. I, I was going to ask, yeah, kids can't part with it. No, um, but uh, the uh, so I got so I kind of long story short is I you know was walking through the airport, traveled for full sail, and saw Sky Telescope magazine. And I was like, oh my god, I just described that. I, I should buy this, and I bought it, and I read, you know read it cover to cover, and it's like. Wow, I haven't thought about doing astronomy in a long time. So I found my telescope, got it out, cleaned it up, and started kind of playing with it. It was a very rudimentary telescope, but um, and uh, anyhow, I just got back into astronomy. You could say for my uh, one of my I can't remember. My, I guess my fortieth birthday. Yeah, maybe my fortieth birthday. I bought my a good telescope. And um, anyhow, long story short, I became a uh, going to star parties and an astro geek, and got back into the whole thing and. Um, um, so when I knew, I decided, um, as I was looking at, as I, before I left my job at Full Sail, I'm just sourcing, thinking of three names. I just kind of knew that, because I was so into astronomy at that point, it was my hobby. And when I had time to do it, and uh, the brewery has kept me from my hobby, unfortunately, but um, that's my, to my own undoing. And I'm not going to let that happen. But anyhow, um, a long story short is, um, I just knew I, I need, I, I just based upon, um, you know, having worked uh, in the industry for so long and just having attended enough CBCs and then attended enough, you know, brand building exercises at the companies I worked for. And, I, and it's, it always came and kind of came back that you always want to have a second story um, that you can talk about, not just, in a sense, not just beer. So yeah. I latched onto astronomy pretty pretty hard and, uh, and we uh, took a, vetted a bunch of names for the branding agency and and they actually had focus groups, and they had, you know, tried to find the name. And um, boy, you did all you did all of the things when you were getting ready to launch. What was that? You did all of the things when you were getting ready to launch. Oh yeah, I I knew that I learned enough um, in my time at Full Sail, and some just some really rapid changes made to packaging design, like just like overnight without just like thinking that was the problems to fix to fix sales problems and stuff. I learned that. Yeah. You got to do it once, right? And so um, I knew that I needed to, you know, hire hire a firm that had good designers, but also could help with all the other aspects of it. Um, it's called Sasquatch, but um, and I'm still working with them. But uh, anyhow, uh, Eclipse came out came in early, uh, but it was just sounded, it was just chunky. And if you listen to someone trying to pronounce it for the first time, it's just painful. It's just uh, e. Eclipse. <laughs> well, it's very simple. It's actually ecliptic. It's just so easy, but people, it was really hard to roll off the tongue, and now it works because you know, we've been around for six years. But um, but it really tied. I mean, once I once I got around to it, and my whole idea of seasonal beer in my restaurant, seasonal food in my restaurant, seasonal beer, high quality food, having food 
It matches the seasons. Oh, asparagus is out. Great. Let's get on the menu. You know, oh, it's tomato time. Great. Heirlooms. Let's go. You know, things like that. So I knew that I could tie back, um, you know, our journey around the sun on the ecliptic plane with one of our fellow travelers, the, uh, you know, the, the seven other planets that follow the ecliptic. Uh, and we could just talk about, you know, name beers after uh, astronomical objects, um, enjoy our path around the ecliptic plane. So it kind of, once it, once it presented itself as its full ability, the name made total sense with what I was trying to do, even more so now than probably when I first opened. But um, so it just kind of, that was kind of it. I just decided that, that I wanted people to think about learning stuff before they, uh, while they drank their beer. And so from day one, we had people like, well, what is ecliptic? <laughs> you know, they're on their phones looking it up and they're looking up, Arcturus, what's that? Oh, that's a, that's, oh, that's a bright red star. Oh my God. You know, just things like that. So people kind of got into it right, pretty much right away. When, and I guess have have there been astronomy buffs who have found you that might not have otherwise really cared about good beer, uh, but found you because of the name and then made connections with you? Has has it gone the other way? Oh, for sure. We definitely had people come in. I mean, between the uh, the local home, not home, local um, amateur <laughs> astronomy, you know, it was one of those too. The yeah. local, uh, um, the local. Uh, or uh, local Rose City astronomers. Um, yeah, they supported a lot of their, their people have been coming in here. Um, the uh, um, we've had people travel here. You know, hey, say I'm a, you know, like I, I work I work for NASA, and they just want to meet me. You know, <laughs> they think it's so cool. And you know, if you, if you search trademarks for ecliptic, you'll find two. And um, the other one's down in, Cal- in SoCal, and basically it's a guy who. Uh, Builds uh, cameras to go on the rockets to film the launches and, uh, and cameras for in space and stuff. So he um, actually, within a few months of us opening, his wife happened to have a convention in town, and he came. He came and he goes, "I got to meet the other ecliptic guy," you know. <laughs> so he came in and I met him. So definitely, um, there's That's definitely really people cool. who yeah. who've reached out who come in here either because they're tight have a tie to astronomy or space. Um, but that's that's been a real that has really happened. When when you I, I, I obviously you did the focus groups and everything else like that, but you know you were at McMinimins, you were at Deschutes, you were at uh, Full Sail, and all, all these places sort of had their own identity, you know, beforehand. And being able to put your own identity on your own brewery when 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 you opened up, I, I I'm curious. I mean, you're you're obviously a talented brewer. Uh, you make amazing beer. Um, does that add, do you think, a little bit more of authenticity when a brewery does have parts of its owner on full display? I often try to like try to find some of these intangibles that exist in beer, you know, where it's not just like, ooh, this is, you know, a really nice hop profile or, wow, look at the color and clarity on this particular beer. But the, the sort of, you know, it's, I almost hate to say je ne sais quoi, but, um, some of these intangibles that sort of make a great beer experience. Do, do you think that authenticity for breweries matters of having parts of the owner on full display? Oh, I mean, I, I would have, I mean, I, I have to think that helped us get launched. Just the fact that I, you know, had been brewing for so long in the town and, and brewed for popular breweries and, and uh, I think, I mean, I, I know that helped get at least initial people in the bodies in the door. Um, end of the day, though, to steer the, you know, the beer and food quality was what's going to bring people back. And, you know, and it was good from day one, but it just got better and better as we went on. But um, 
And sometimes I don't want to be the face anymore. <laughs> but then, is that true? It's, it's impossible. Oh, just some days I'm like, no, take a picture of the brew guys. They're the ones making the beer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't take another, another picture of me. You know, it's like, but uh, but I do know that just that I am lucky that I have been, you know, able to work and you know create a name for myself for making good beer that um, has helped us, you know, survive, especially now. So. Um, yeah, and the fact that our, I mean, I mean, all the Olympic beers outsell, outsell all the full sale on the shoot spears. Well, not all the shoot spears, but all the ones I ever had my hand in Olympic beer sells more than they do now, which is in Oregon, which is I never thought that would ever have ever happened. Wow, you know, to be like, well, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, no, I'm not kidding. You. I mean, I, obviously, having you know your own brewery now and outselling your previous employers, but I mean, especially with the shoots where you were the founding brewer there i mean you, you you created a lot of these beers that you know have become iconic in in beer lexicon um that's got to be a little bit of a conflict maybe just i i maybe not from a smart business standpoint but you know seeing you know some of your older cl- kids eclipsed by your newer kids or am i just you know being too romantic with that Oh, I don't think so. I mean, I think the fact that um, with the, the upswing of IPA, the fact that a porter would, would drop off in sales over time yeah, makes sense where you're basically just dealing with now, which is, the, you know, the, um, you know, the one who really wants a porter in case of like Black Butte. I mean, yeah. We make Capella Porter now and, you know, it's won the World Beer Cup. and But it's our hardest, it's our hardest sale outside of draft. I mean, it just. People just aren't picking, you know, porters up off the shelf like they used to. I think back when there was, I mean, you can think back to the beginning of, you know, craft beer in Oregon. If this as far as, you know, distributing breweries, you had, you know, Widmer Alt and Bridgeport Ale, which was a, basically a combo of mild and an amber. Um, you had, um, you know, that was it. The Grant Scottish Ale, you had Grant's Russian Imperial Stout, you had Pyramid Pale Ale and Red Hook Ale and Boy, you're naming all of these breweries that were so important and so influential and now are either gone or have been so diminished within their own portfolio that they right. barely register. But you know, but then suddenly there was full sale golden ale. Oh, golden ale. Now we have golden ale on the market. And then suddenly, you know, you know when we decided to launch a beer, was our distributor, we chose the Abilty. Um Jim Kennedy's like, no, we need a porter. But that's one style that no, we don't, no one's doing a porter. So you can you can corner the dark beer market so sure enough the shoes corner the dark beer market you know what i mean so but i think now you're flip forward you know 34 years later or whatever um you know now you have ecliptic and cloudburst and you know rubens and other half and you know just all the new breweries that um are now making the more modern styles that people really want so it's just a different time but i think the, i think the beer drinker is shifting along with the um no, no matter what age they are, I think. Um, after our first hazy was made, Phaser, you, know, you could go to the bar and you could you could see immediately what people are drinking because if it's a hazy, it has a look. And uh, I'm looking down the bar and I'm like, it's like, hey, eight people are drinking hazy, and let's see, you know, we got a guy, got a young guy, got oh wow, Fred's drinking hazy, you know, he's 67, you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> you know, you, so suddenly you had like all these people drinking these beers, and um, it's like. So I'm just like, people, you know, other brewers like, are you still making that hazy thing? I'm like, well, yeah, but people want it. <laughs> you got to give the people what they want. I think the Rolling Stones said that a long time ago. Yeah, they, uh, they did it in so song I, form and were pretty successful with it. So, <laughs> so, I, just, um, yeah, so, so I just think that um, you know, just as, as certain styles sold better in certain times, but not, and, I, and I think that you know, 
Like right now, I keep reading about how what loggers be the next big thing. You know, it's like I've been writing about uh, that for ten years. But like Jeff Allworth and I have said, uh, the the writer, uh, Jeff and I just keep doing that. I think every year because we want it to be a self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> What do you what do you think? I mean, do you, do you think? I mean, loggers are already a very big thing when you actually pull away from just the craft data and look at the rest of the beer world and the rest of the beer market in the craft space. IPA rules the roost. But do do you think there's growth for lager uh, in in the craft space? I personally think there is probably. I just um like you know it's always our thing here is you know, like how do we gonna you know, like being an ale brewery ale based brewery you know designed around ales, you know, like we just released a, a lager with uh, the Ruse Brewery here in town, a collab mm-hmm. with Italian Pilsner, and uh, it's being received quite well, and it's selling through, and makes me very happy, and the beer turned out really great, just it's, you know, it's, it, I mean, I'd love to make a lager, I mean, actually the first beer I ever bottled was a lager, other than our, our winter seasonal, the first year we opened, I mean, it was an unfiltered Pilsner, but it was designed in this Wickle style, so you released it really young and fresh, you know, I mean, but I think the style people really want is not the young and fresh version, they want that one where you claim you age it for six weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or something like that, and, you know, it's, you, you can't really turn a tank only three times. I mean, you can do it if you set up for it to turn a tank three times a year. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you know, we're just, we're, you know, we'll continue to make loggers. We, you know, we, we've made a few loggers this year, actually, uh, for the pub. We had a Doppelbach last winter, and we have made a, like kind of a continental lager for, uh, uh, never got, never saw the light of day because the pub closed. Um, <laughs> we didn't get it to go. <laughs> like a, um, but anyhow, um, I mean, I think, I mean, I think that, you know, the thing is that lots of times the first thing a brewer will drink when they come to visit you is, is your lager beer, if you have one on tap. I mean, they just kind of, it's kind of like a, just something that people just kind of reach to, especially about pills. And it's like, oh, you got pills. I'll do that. You know, it's like, you give me a break from all the IPAs I drink for my job every day. You know what yeah. I mean, so I, mean just... I, I also, I, it, it's the first beer that I usually go to when I stop at a, at a, at a brewery or a pub or when I used to be able to. Um, but I also sort of used it, especially if I was going into a place for the first time, to sort of size up the overall quality because they are hard to make. And if it's something that tastes a little bit flabby or, you know, God forbid, has diacetyl or something in it, um, I think that sort of speaks volumes as to you know, what the rest of the beer might be like. Oh, that's true. I mean, yeah, you can't, there's nothing you can hide in the beer, especially if you age it for, you know, say four to six weeks or so. Yeah. It's going to. You've given enough time for that bacteria to get going. <laughs> so so can, can, can I just back you up a second? Because you mentioned this collaboration that you did with Ruse, uh, and you call it an Italian Pilsner, and I pulled up the press release uh, that uh, that your folks sent over, uh, and the description is, brewed with German lager yeast, Weirman extra pale pils malt, and dry hopped with all German hops. The result is a Pilsner with a crisp, clean finish and fresh hoparona, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All German ingredients, and you're calling it an Italian Pilsner. I, I don't know enough about the style, so I'm hoping you can educate me and, you know, the three people who listen to the show. Gotcha. The three people? Is yeah. that all you think you get? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we doubled our audience last week. We're super excited. We're blessed. Oh, really? No. <laughs> God, I think you did better than that, but uh, um, well, maybe you're wrong. So, um, but see, well, I mean, so that's, yeah, it's a funny story, but um, I think around 10, I think it was like about 10 years ago, um, a brewery named Brifico Italiano in Italy made it a beer called Tipo Pills, and uh, 
And the, the style was born. And, and, and realistically, all it is, not all it is, but it's basically a German-style pilsner that's been dry hopped. And uh, Germans are not known, you know, traditional German breweries are not known for dry hopping and trying to drive the aromatics of um, of uh, the hops. And so that basically is um, the, um, just a second. Jonas put me on hold. Um, that's so yeah. This basically is a German style beer pilsner with you know pils malt, uh, German hops dry hopped, and that um that's the big difference. And uh, like I was saying, the Germans aren't known for dry hopping, and so took this person in in Bureau Italiano to decide to a beerificult Italiano to just go ahead and dry hop a beer, and then, then the style was born kind of, um, and uh, then a few American brewers started making them. Um, it's kind of like this new, I mean, it's a new style of pills. It is a little different because it does have the aromatics that are not common um, in a um, normal German Pilsner. Yeah. Can, can I um, also back up just to something else that you were talking about uh, earlier, uh, just on sort of the evolution, right? Because, you know, somebody does something different and all of a sudden a new style is born. And I think that's really, you know, sort of a, a fun, fascinating part of, of brewing but also the evolution of styles as well. And so when you were at Deschutes and when you started there and you're you know, you know told that you know there's a dark beer market that can be cornered and uh, Black Beer Porter uh, is conceived of and created and, and, and put out to the world. And then, what, 20 years later or thereabouts, you open up uh, Ecliptic and you also have a porter. I, I'm curious as to how the original porter recipe that you created at the shoots varied or evolved, I guess, into the one that you released from ecliptic. Like what was, what had changed palette wise? What had changed in your mind as a brewer? What had changed, you know, even just, I don't know, technically with the more education that's out there these days between those two. Right. Um, well, first I want to make it better. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, I don't no, know if you are. Yeah. No, there's. Um, well, well, first of all, the the yeast strain that Deschutes used um, is you know sworn to secrecy and has been since I worked there. Um, was brought in and given to Y yeast labs to hold and keep for us. Um, and so it's a yeast strain that no one I, I know is using. Um, I might be wrong, but that, as far as I know, um, no one else was using it. Uh, it's not 1056 and it's not London Ale. It's not any of those. It's a, it's a unique yeast. So that was that was the one difference that I knew I wasn't going to be working with that yeast. And um, also there's another ingredient um, in Black Butte that I'd, one would ex not even expect to be in there. Um, that I, it's also, I've never told anybody what that is either. Um, Do you want to now? No, I'm not going to. Okay. I've, I've held on to it for so long. I might as well <laughs> take it to the grave. Maybe on my grave. And there it is. <laughs> And then I get to the, the, my heirs will get a well. That's a, I mean that, that that's, lawyers, that's how you, you get know? everybody to come to uh, to your deathbed is for the big reveal. <laughs> you know that's how you have one last big party. Uh, yeah, trust me, it's, it's it's not that big a deal. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, I mean honestly, but so the, the biggest thing for me was in making that beer is was that I wanted the porter the new, the new porter I wanted to create to be totally different than the other porter I created before. Um, at, at, since that porter was created, uh, the biggest thing that came on the market was. Um, the wireman uh, carafa dehust basically you know roasted malts um and barleys and there's something about those malts that having that husk removed that just 
really mellow out the astringency of the dark malts. And in a porter where you want to set touch of roast, but you want more, you know, or chocolate, you know, it's just, um, that malt was like, like it wasn't around back in 1988, you know? And so um, I was, I knew I wanted to use a couple different kinds of that malt. Um, I knew I was going to use some Munich malt. I really like that. I think it adds a lot of breadiness and body to a beer. And so I just kind of really rebuilt the whole porter around what was available now versus what was available then, because back then, you know, you know, in the early industry space, you know, you know, pretty small, so you could get Hugh Baird from England and ported. You had very few choices in your, you know, your quiver of malts to use. And so, um, I just my goal was just to make a totally different beer that had no similarity whatsoever to the other one. But, but it's still in the it's still in the brown porter style, of the lighter the lighter porter style of brown porter. But what? So when you finally settled on this recipe, what what were the flavors? What were the aromas that called you to to this porter that you said okay this is the one that i want to represent you know, my brand uh, my brewery um well i guess i wanted to have a creaminess um that uh i just i, that I want I had that vision of just a really um clean palette um getting a chase of uh, the, ch- the chocolate malts dark malts a little bit of the um you know, the pale and the Munich kind of rounding out the mid volley, a little bit of, you know, crystal malts are in there to uh, kind of build the body in the mid palate. Um, and then, um, then I went ahead and used some, uh, some uh, nice and bright American citrusy hops, uh, Nugget, Chinook, and Centennial. And just wanted to kind of give it that um, orange, like, like a slight orangey citrusy brightness a little bit, um, but not in this, not like you're, it's, it's a play that big a play in your mouth, but just as part of the whole buildup of the beer, the aroma had just a little bit of this citrusy character. Hmm. And, um, and just, like I said, the caramel notes, smooth finish, just, um, that's, that's kind of what I was going for. I dumped the first batch we made. Um, as we were getting ready to open and I had brewed an IPA and, and, uh, the Porter and I had brewed, um, hell, I'm like, forgetting what I brewed. Oh my God. I'm actually forgetting what I brewed. <laughs> you can be forgiven. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. Pale ale. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Procyon Pale Ale, that was the first brew because I wanted to do just, just, just a light pale ale to calibrate the brew house. And then they did a batch of what was called then um, Arcturus IPA, which was West Coast style. But when the, uh, went back when some IPAs had an orange character to them, or not orange character, an orange color to them, you know, more a little bit more caramel malt in there, uh, which is now totally out of style. And then um, I brewed the porter and, uh, and uh, that was open with those three, but uh, there's just a certain taste in the porter that I just didn't like, and I decided that it just wasn't worth um, uh, worth doing. It. Yeah. And so I rebrewed that pretty quick, and then I re- then they, they brewed a uh, what I called back then a sp- spike of Hefepils, which was my original beer I thought I was going to take over the world, and I was absolutely so wrong about um, a, a so. Pills? <laughs> I had this great idea one night, you know, man. Hefe means yeast. Zwickel Pilsner is unfiltered Pilsner. Okay, I'm gonna make Hefe Pils. You know, so first thing is like, is this a wheat Pilsner? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's. <laughs> is it a Pilsner with notes of banana and clove? I'm I'm, I'm no, no, well, no. The thing is that Hefe means yeast. It doesn't right. mean wheat. And so Hefe Pilsner meant yeasted, like Daddy was yeast Pilsner or un- unfiltered Pilsner. But no one got it. I mean, I had brewers walking in. Hefe pills. Is this a wheat pills? <laughs> no, it's hefe means yeast bozo. You know? Right, but 
but we've no, all been conditioned me. to think about. Okay, yeah. I mean, oh, no, I, I, be, I would beat my head against the wall doing tastings, and I eventually my, I met a Fred Meyer here, Big Chain, and I'm doing a tasting, and I look around, and right behind me is a rebrand of Wimmer, uh, Hefeweizen, <laughs> and all it says on the side is Hefe, mm-hmm. H-E-F-E, and I'm like, I give up. I called my graphic designer and said, I need one that says Spike of Pilsner. <laughs> I need a new label. <laughs> this isn't working. I'm having to explain this way. I just, I just, I misread the market. I thought that it was so clever. Um, but in fact, it was clever to the point where no one got it. And so, <laughs> clever the, party know, of one. Yeah. Party. Yeah. Not even, yeah. I probably only would have got it <laughs> because I, cause I, like, so I came up with it, you know? <laughs> it's like, so. So all of you out there, if you're listening, you know, I have a trademark on Hayford Pills. If you want to buy it from me, I got it for sale, so don't worry about it. So. <laughs> I'm sure people are going to start calling you immediately, uh, as well, it were. Well, no, someone's going to actually do it, and it's going to work. I'm going to be pissed. You know? It's like, <laughs> like, oh, God, I did that seven years ago, six and a half years ago. Now someone's doing it. It's working. <laughs> what the hell? You know? Then you just have to call it a wheat pillar. You can't call it, you know, just own it, you know? Yeah. Everybody thinks half of me is wheat, so what the heck? <laughs> but I, I, so often, though, you can have an amazing beer, but if the name is confusing or the name just doesn't doesn't strike with somebody uh, or just the general consumer, I, it's 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 doomed before it even had a chance. And and I guess I like I don't know. It it just, it just sort of strikes me as like you know when when you have those situations where you have a uh, you know, a, a beer that you're so passionate about and that you want to get people excited about, but they're just not getting it just simply because of something like the name. That's got to be frustrating. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it, it was a little bit, but also I just realized that, like, I'm a brewer, too. And I realized, okay, I, at a certain point after about it, I knew I couldn't afford a salesperson for at least the first year. And so I, you know, didn't, but you know, the, the second full year we were open, I opened up with a salesperson. And by that point, then I had, well, the person I, I wanted really wanted to work with, she decided to come work with me, Erin uh, Gray Kemplin. And, um, but also I had that other, that other sounding board. It was like, what, she's looking at my beer calendar and she's like, what's this double Pilsner? And I'm like, well, you know, it's, a, it's, it's like a, it's some Pilsner, but it's, people think it's gonna be like a double pop. Well, it's not a double pop, it's a double Pilsner. Cause I had done that at full sale. Right. She, and why are we making this? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, what? No, I mean, I have to go sell this. So why, why are we making this? <laughs> and uh, uh, um, anyhow, what's uh, um, but uh, well, anyhow, long story, long story short, it's just um, yeah, the, the conversation eventually led to uh, um, led to uh, you know, us creating, you know, uh. A blackberry sour, you know what I mean. So, um, so what I, what I found is I found that sounding board that I need, really needed um, in the brewery um, to decide what beers to make that would be more relevant for the market at the time. You know, because it's just, um, yeah, it was just. Uh, um, I was just trying. I was flying blind. You know, I was like a brewer trying to run a brewery by himself. <laughs> you know, and not having like a someone with sales a sales professional, that marketing professional, right? You know, which is the way these normally start because eventually it's like, yeah. Oh, you don't want my mild ale? No, no, I really don't. I really like mild ales. Um, uh, you know what I mean? So anyhow, just um, like I said, that's one thing I've learned through the six and a half years is just that, you know, having to um, turn and um, 
let go of what you think people might want, even though you think it's the best idea on the planet. You, you can't do that anymore, I don't think. Especially in this market, you really have to just look, watch, watch the trends, watch what people are doing. You know, like I said, give the people the kind of beers they want to drink right now. And that's, uh, and it's actually more, makes it very exciting too, because, um, uh, yeah. It's, it's a pretty exciting time for beer, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, you know, every, every, it just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And um, some might, might like the ways it's going and they're more traditionalist, but and they'll, they'll still be those beers for you too. You know, just, but a lot of people want change <laughs> right now. Yeah. But I mean, you've obviously been, you, you've embraced change throughout your entire career and you've, you've pushed the envelopes and you, you've challenged people to think about things in different ways. And uh, I know you got the, the Russell Shearer award for innovation uh, uh, through the Brewers association, you know, several years ago. And um, I mean, innovation is, I really think has, has, has sort of been the driving force of craft in America over the last 40 years. And one of the things that I, I, I wanted to, to kind of get back to you with, with, you know, you've mentioned using different ingredients or you've mentioned, you know, trying different styles and, um, you know, really not sticking to one particular thing. Like there's recipes obviously that you make well and that you like to keep going back to because they sell well and they sell better than your previous employees in the state, uh, employers in the state. But, um, but it also seems like you keep yourself interested by, collaborating with new breweries and creating new styles and getting out of your comfort zone. And when you, when you say that, you know, innovation is pushing things forward and creativity is pushing things forward. What are you excited about regardless of COVID right now, but what are you excited about what beer can be? Oh, man. <laughs> in the crystal ball. Um, well, no, I, it, it's not even, just, I'm, I'm not asking you to, to forecast like what the entire industry is, but like what, you know, you occupy a pretty nice piece of real estate uh, in, in, in the beer universe that has a, you know, healthy following and people who trust your, uh, trust your talents and trust your skills. Like, where do you want to take yourself? Um, well, I mean. The biggest thing I'm doing, I think, I think beer can still become uh, more at the table than I think it's gotten on the table a lot more as far as its relevance with food. I think that that can continue to grow. Um, I think you know just the pioneering work Garrett Oliver did with that, uh, writing the great book he did, the Brewmaster Table, really helped. But I think that can grow. I think that um, um, when people start trying to say crafts dying because of you know, all the seltzers and stuff, I think that that's really. Um, I think they need to look at like the breweries that are really trending right now and what they're making and realize that craft is not dead. Craft is alive and, and thriving. It's, uh, um, I think it's, you know, more exciting than it ever was. Um, I just think that just, you know, as far as I said, like, like working with like these younger brewers I'm working with, you know, they still have, you know, I still have passion too, but I, these guys have, you know, twice the passion I have in lots of ways just because they're so, their breweries are so new and they're, they haven't been brewing for 34 years and, you know, they, they get super excited about this hop, you know, and you're like, that's cool hop, you know, but when I was, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, I'd be like, that's really cool hop, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, so just, just feed, feeding off um, the new, um, <clears throat> the newer brewers and their passion and energy and uh, just, um, you know, just trying to, um, um, you know, just, just, you know, we all, we're all learning so much from each other right now, I think, especially in the hazy vein, and 
the juicy vein and all the work that's being done, research being done on hops and what, how hops are really doing what they're doing in beer and, and, and the whole hop creek thing that everybody's really concerned about it, but all the brewers are banding together to help each other. And I think that just, just uh, the collaborations at an all time high and um, just people trying to support each other and, and then push that boundary, come up with that new Hafa pills, you know, that, um, you know <laughs> that maybe someone really wants, you know what I mean? Just, just, uh, I think it's just a good time for, um, for being in beer. Even with what's happening right now with the pandemic, I, I keep trying to find, you know, the good news that's coming out of breweries or good news that uh, beer drinkers can look forward to, you know, when things are lifted, when things are restricted. And, and it seems to me that, you know, you, you still have a lot of hope and a lot of, um, uh, I guess, you know, there, there's a sense of promise of brewers still working together in in the future even with difficult times ahead yeah i mean I, yeah i think so um i just i think that you know we still have to um you know still be creative and innovative and you know you know sharing our ideas with the our fellow brewers and with the you know our, our consumers who want new flavors and tastes and things like that i think that you know everything's going into you know being drunk at home pretty much these days uh you know some I guess the bars are open in some other states, but uh, I think bars will be a little slow to open, slow to open in Oregon over time. But some models are, you know, taproom only. Gosh, I mean, they're they're dying. You know, they need they need that revenue to live. So, yeah. um, and everybody's going to stretch and you know determine their their best way of uh, you know best way of being for sure. You know, what do you, what do you think ecliptical look like in a new world? How how are you going to have to adapt? How are you going to have to change? Um, geez. Well, I guess, I mean, the biggest, the biggest change at least right now is, um, not, there's no face-to-face uh, interaction with selling the beer. Um, there's no one in the grocery store doing a tasting. There's no one walking up to the table and talking about that new beer or at the there's, bar with a the bartender. There's know, no astronomy not, lessons. Yeah, astronomy clubs are having virtual meetings now. <laughs> They're not in the stars, under the stars together. Um, no, I just, I just think it's just everything's so, uh, you know, face off right now. Um, so you have to find ways to be, get, get your social media going so you're still communicating with your, your, your fans. Um, just, uh, you know, coming up with new beers. Um, you always used to have, like, the pub-only beers that would only be available in the pub on draft, you know. Maybe find a way. This is a thought I just had, but just maybe find a way to get some of those into maybe some special release cans or something just for a one-off. And you say, "Hey, at the brewery right now, we had this plan, but you can come get it." You know, and things like that. I think we just have to be more um, nimble. I mean, people are, like we haven't started doing any delivery ourselves, but I know some brewers have been real successful to getting some delivery going. And I think that's going to stick around. I think that our uh, technical business will continue to be a big part of our business going forward for a while until until everything you know shakes back out the way where we can have you know a business as usual which i think is going to be a ways now yeah um and uh yeah i think that i just think um yeah i don't know i think i guess i've really been talking with my team about just like let's just you know okay the past is the past and whatever happened back then it's like having a baby i don't know if you have kids or not but um yeah just one but yes yeah yeah one's enough so (laughs) you're in the you're, you're in the fourth trimester which is the three months after your after birth, and you keep and you you and your partner you're always saying like, well, 
when are we going to be able to do this again or do that again and do that again? And when's that going back to this way? Was that, I mean, this is a true first baby moment where it's like, it's not going back to the way it was. And there's a certain thing that happens around the, you know, that third month after birth that you're like, okay, this is the new normal. This is our life now. We chose to have a kid and that changed everything. And I think COVID's one of those things where, you know, I watched, um, you're watching television shows and people are in bars or you're watching, um, you're, you know, you're watching something you can see in the background, like you're watching a cooking show or something. And in the background, it's a bunch of other cooks, you know, all standing right next to each other, you know, prepping food while the person, you know, does their demonstration for you or something. I saw that the other day. I was watching something and it was like, oh, well, all those people can't work that close together anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? So, or at least not now, not until there's a vaccine or a cure, not a cure or a treatment that really keeps people from dying. So I think things will really change for the next couple of years. I think, I don't know, we'll see, but. Well, you've done, I mean, and you've done a lot of collaborations in the last couple of years. I mean, you obviously did this one with Ruse. I remember you did one with John Mallet from Bell's a couple of months ago where uh, originally the plan was to cool the wart using ice, but then that was just going to be too expensive. Uh, I think is what you told me at the time. Um, but you, you've been doing a lot of fun collaborations with brewers from you know local and, 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 and national. Do you think that's going to have to change going forward or... Well, one thing I really implemented with with my last year's five years five beers plan was that uh one thing I learned about collaboration is that that, that is is how to do them really how to do them. Um, if you're going to ask a brewer to collaborate with you, you obviously respect them, and, and if the if, if the ask brewer accepts, it, then obviously the the ask brewer has respect for the brewer who is asked. So, what I did for the, those five beers is we did all the collaborating on phone and text and email and. And then it was like, okay, we brewed the beer and then out came the brewer for the release party. And of course, that's a very tense moment when you hand the pint over and go, well, hey, here it is. On this. Yeah. <laughs> but it's no different. Than, <laughs> but then otherwise the people would come and they would come down and they'd brew the beer with you and then they'd send them a six pack. You know what I mean? So I, I, for those five years, I thought, because I also picked five of my good brewing friends and I wanted to have dinner with them and I wanted to you know, celebrate that I made it to five years. You know what I mean? And uh and so, you know, the same thing, well, the same clouds will still happen that way. It's just, you may not have that person, you know, they may not be in front of you. Um, at this, today, at this day, I mean, me and Sean did our release. He was at his brewery and I was at my house and we were on Zoom and we had 37 people, something like that, show up for it. So it was like, wow, was like, wow we got, you know, so it was like, and we just had That's like 10 times my listenership. Yeah. Uh, I know. You should, you should <laughs> get some tips from me again. <laughs> Um, but anyhow, long story short is that, um, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just where it is though. Okay. I, I'm supposed to, we're doing another collab with Rue, uh, not Rue, with Cloudburst up in Seattle. Steve, Steve yeah, Luke. Steve Luke, he's great. And, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of postponed it cause we were going to do a check pills. Can I do a pills pills thing? And, um, but now we know we can't, um, well, we canceled it because we want because we we want to have bar sales, but there's no bar sales, so we we didn't. And we had this ruse, hundred barrels of this ruse beer, and we weren't sure what we we're going to be able to do with it, and so we postponed the, the cloud burst till you know the fall. But now we're thinking about maybe I'm going to call Steve this week and just say, hey, you up for maybe trying to come up with a different style, and so that we can do it during the summertime, and then we get done in two weeks, and um, you know, like just keep keep that moving because you know, like I said, just, there's no reason to wait anymore because. Um, yeah, just yeah. might as well. This is where we're at. <laughs> so um, if it's cans of beer, you know, we took our we took our collab from a sixteen mil bottle to a 
22 um, well, to a 16 ounce can. And so that's gonna help sell the beer and uh, more, more modern package. And um, yeah, I think that, I think collabs could still exist to just, you know, the collaboration might be on FaceTime with your brewing or Zoom or something like, hey, the Nashes go look at it. Oh yeah, cool. Stir, <laughs> stir that more. That's not, that's not stirred enough, you know? Yeah, you can, you can do a collaboration and play solitaire at the same time on your computer. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, John, before I let you go, I'm I'm curious if in your astronomy hobby, if you've come across a fact that you think is fun, entertaining, that the larger world should know, and if so, would you share it with us right now? Okay, what, 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 can you do that one more time? My phone started beeping. A, uh, a, 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 an astronomy sort of fun fact, something that you've come across uh, in your studies of astronomy uh, that you think we should leave on a note with that, that everybody should know about the stars um, if they're not already aware. Um, one thing is that, uh, that I don't know if a lot of people know um, is that uh, uh, Neptune actually revolves sideways. So north and south are horizontal and it rotates, um, you know, on the, on the north south pole, it rotates versus, but it's turned you know, 100% on its side. So it, uh, Think about a bas- a foot, you know, football that's pointed up for a kickoff, and then you—that's normally on Earth, right? Then you yeah. lay it on its side. You lay it on its side like it's on the grass, and that then had up then roll that ball forward. That's how Neptune goes around, revolves. So they never where we we turn and have you know, their day is totally different than our day because the way it, the way it rotates. Huh. I had no idea. Thank you yeah. for uh, thank you for sharing that and. Uh, Next time I probably, you come screw, on... I probably screwed up somewhere too, and some astronomy heads going to let me know about it. But... No, that's fine. <laughs> it's, uh, they don't listen to the show, so that's all right. Um, and next time I have you on, you'll do the big reveal of the secret ingredient in Black Pea Porter. So that's uh, that's something that we have to look forward to. <laughs> well, need a lot of money for that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'll call, uh, call Gary Fish and say, "Okay, they they got it. They're offering me a million bucks for the secret ingredient." What do, what do you say? Can I say? Come on, or do you want to give me a million? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, that's uh, all right. If if millions is the starting point, I'm going to start a Kickstarter uh, first thing tomorrow, and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. Uh, John, thanks so much for for talking with us on the show today. I really appreciate it. You bet. No, thanks for having me back, and uh, take care in this COVID times. Stay healthy. All right. So full disclosure, I'm not actually going to start a fundraising campaign to find out the secret ingredient, uh, but I am going to ask you to do us a favor and leave us a review of the show on your podcast platform of choice. It'll help other people find the show by sharing links around. I'll also ask you to drop me a line if you have suggestions on how we can make the show better or let me know the guests that you'd like to hear. It's John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And if you want to advertise, you can reach out as well. Speaking of that, this show is proudly sponsored by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a perilous journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition with the Dragon's Milk family of beers. Whether it's the original bourbon barrel aged stout or the mysterious Dragon's Milk White, a white stout aged in bourbon barrels and brewed with chocolate, coffee, and vanilla, the legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow. We'll raise a glass to that. Learn more at dragonsmilk.com. 
And of course, we're produced by The Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. Please help support journalism covering the beer industry by subscribing to the twice-weekly newsletter. Learn more at our revamped website, I should say, beeredge.com. And there's also a Beer Edge podcast where each week you can turn uh, tune in and you can hear myself and Mr. Andrew Crouch talk to brewers and beer professionals about how COVID-19 is impacting business. Also, every Monday is a new episode of Steal the Spear, and once a month, on the 15th of each month, I invite you to listen in to the BYO Nano podcast, where I talk with small brewers and the importance that small batch brewing brings to the entire American brewing fabric. Amid all this chaos and uncertainty, I really hope that you can find some happiness, and that maybe a beer comes your way that speaks to you like the Vega IPA did for me. And if it does... Share the news with someone, with us, with me, and try to brighten a day. I'm John Hall. I'm reporting and recording from New Jersey, and I do new episodes every Wednesday of this show. And I hope that that's when you'll come back and join us again to drink beer and to think beer.